0: What's up? What's up? Carl West back at you. Uh, this is the Community Health Focus Hour brought to you by University of Chicago Medicine Urban Health Initiative. And I am excited to be back on this Saturday afternoon. Uh, share with you guys what we got going on here. We got two am- amazing brothers in the studio. We got two people on the live line. And this conversation is going to be heartfelt, informative. And we hope that when we come to conclusion today that everybody have, has a different outlook on a small segment of our community. And that segment is, of course, is not stagnated in their immediate presence. There's always opportunities for transforming. And I'm sitting here with brothers who have been transformed. And now they are in the community working hard to make sure that they save lives and give people their lives back. So, again, I'm Carl West, CEO, of MG Media, managing editor, TBT News. Today's topic is, I'm free, but am I? Stress and hardship after incarceration. Let me read some stat that I got here in front of me. There are 2.3 million persons in prison in the United States. Once the convicted person has served their sentence, they are released from physical incarceration. Are they really free? I'm talking with some experts today. Three have been personally system involved, and one is former prison guard. They all know and provide guidance on being returning citizens. I'm done with that read. That's too long for me to read. I'm done with that. Let me just go right to to the people and and just ask them how they doing today. Let me start with my live line callers. Celia Cologne. what's up? How you doing?
1: Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great today. and hope everybody's doing well.
0: Absolutely. Great to have you, Greg. Gaithers, is that correct? Gaithers or Gathers? Gaithers. Gaithers, I got it right. Yes. What's up, Holmes?
2: Okay, how you doing, Carl, man? Good to be here, man. Uh, always uh, available to to do this work in the community. Absolutely.
0: Glad to always have you as well. And then the two gentlemen I have inside the studio with me is Brandon Laster. Laster. See, I got that one wrong. Why I can't get that? It's simple. Faster. hell Laster. Brandon Laster, how you doing, bro? I'm doing great, man. It was, uh you know, it, it beats the rain, and uh so, <laughs> you know, I'm here, and I'm loving it. Is it raining outside? No, but yesterday it was. Oh, yeah, we did get some of that. Well, I'm glad to have you here. We don't want you to be in the rain in that spiffy little suit either. Oh, man. Right? (laughs) You look kind of boss right there, man. You know? But, hey, everybody got to have their makeup on today. Marlon J. Chamberlain. What's up, Holmes? How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, So you you all right?
3: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. As my
0: grandmother would say, no complaints because it wouldn't do me no good anyway. And I wouldn't want to hear it anyway, brother, to be honest with you. (laughs) Straight up. I don't even want to hear no complaints, man. I'm the kind of dude I want to hear solutions. Absolutely. I'm a solution-driven dude. I was having a conversation the other day with somebody, and they was asking me about, like, what would I want my ultimate life to look like? down and as i wind down and winding down means finding that space where you just at the ultimate peace at and i was like i want to i want people when they come to me this is very important to me because the work that i do being in the media being a writer and other things that i do uh people always coming to me sharing situations and and they just like it's like just loading their situations on me, right? And so I find myself with this backpack carrying everybody's situation that come to me, like tell they like here's my story. Could you share it? And I'm like, okay, well, what's the outcome? Like, what is, what do you want me to solve? What problem can I solve? Are the problems that you telling people this can they have a solution? So I said, I want to have a life that when people see me and reach out to me they calling me for solutions I want to be a solution oriented dude I want to be able to solve your problem like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain right people lined up and it's only certain people of course because it's people who know you your friends your relatives your close associates and they know they can come to you and trust you with what they share with you and you knowing who you are you are there to help you will have a solution to their problem. Other than that, don't bring me your baggage to hold into my backpack just for whatever. I don't want to be faced with that the rest of my life. And so as I wind my life down, that's what I'm trying to get to. I want to be a dude that can solve. When my friends like Robin Robinson call me and say, hey, Carl, she's calling me because she know that I can solve a particular problem at that particular moment. She don't want to just bar me down with stuff, heavy stuff that I got to carry. I don't want to carry people's loads. And it's not being disrespectful. It's just that, man, you know, we all got loads to carry. So if we want to engage with each other, let's engage in moments where we can solve the challenges that we face every single day. And then if that's what we're doing, we can chat all day. Because I know you walk out this room, get off that corner, get out of that club, wherever we congregating that, when I know when we finally depart and leave, we have changed somebody's dynamics through having an answer for a question or a, and I don't like calling problem, a challenge. So anyway, that's my soul box because I just like to have them every now and then. So here we go. Now, I want to go back to the caller, Celia. I want you to give me a brief overview of who you are and how did you get into this space where you're at today?
1: Okay, Uh, good afternoon. So my name is Celia Colon, and how I got into this space, I am somebody who is justice impacted. Um, I've been justice impacted my entire life. I've been visiting a prison. I have an uncle who's serving natural life in a prison in Michigan, and I've been visiting him since I was four. I myself visited the system when I was 18. I did a 15-year bit, came home in the year of 2000, and I've been back inside the prison system since 2001, Serving my people and bringing resources and solutions and a hope and inspiration to the people on the inside that are still there. I go back in with a sense of pride, solutions, resources, and just to tell them that they're always one decision away from a different life and that there are people out here willing to help, to invest, and to show them the way and, and, and help them dismantle these vicious cycles of destruction and oppression that have been bestowed upon us for generations now in the black and brown community due to the lack of investments in our, you know, schools and our healthcare and our economical development and wealth in our communities. It just doesn't exist. So it's the perfect storm of lack of infrastructure and social harm and racial harm that creates the prisoner that goes to prison. And because of that, I came home healing from you know, layers and layers, multiple layers of harm and abuse and trauma. And because I know the magnitude of what healing can do and counseling and having a a network, a support, a community of people who are willing to invest in you and make you be a better person and just, you know, fill you with knowledge to become a better you and become who God needs you to become. I answered that call. Absolutely. And I, I am still walking that space every day with people who are leaving prison and i tell them the only difference between me and you is transformation
0: okay great and you know what i know it's been a while but i want to welcome you back (laughs) i want to welcome you back and i want to thank you for the work that you do since you have been back greg what's up yes sir talk to me man give me a brief overview of who you are and how you got into this space
2: okay good good so uh my name is greg data i am the co-founder and uh, and executive director of the Woodlawn Community Reentry Project, Chicago. So we work on helping youth get back into school. Youth, that, youth coming through the juvenile justice system, as well as adults coming through the adult system, we focus on education needs in terms of helping them get back in school or helping them move on to college. So... That's the emphasis that, 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 uh, that we put on, on the services delivery that we do. I got into doing this just because I had been a corrections officer at okay. the Cook County Department of Corrections and was actually, I guess it was a good thing, I was fired. <laughs> and when I was fired, I went back to school and, and got into social work and eventually got a degree in social work and wound up coming back to the cook county department of corrections as a school social worker in the school inside the cook county jail as also the school inside the cook county juvenile detention center okay so working in both of those schools i could see that when students entered those facilities they had problems getting back on track with their education and when they couldn't get back on track with their education they would then recidivate, and come back into the facility. Okay. So clearly, clearly, education is one of the pieces that we need to focus on. So that's how I got into
0: it. Absolutely. Work. I appreciate that, man. And thank you again for you, the work that you do in this most important time uh, when people are reentering into the world. The, I guess you can call it the real world. I don't know. You know we, all, we can question that, too, because what's real about folks falsely incarcerating people Every single day. That's not the real world. Uh, But anyway, again, I can get on that later. Marlon, what's up, brother? Brief overview of of who you are and how would you get in the space that you're in right now?
3: Thank you. Uh, Brief overview. So I'm a husband. I'm a father of five. Um, Good for you. I'm a black man. I'm also the project manager. I can see that. (laughs) (laughs)
4: I'm
3: also the project manager of the Alliance for Reentry with the Safer Foundation, uh, which is a statewide movement across the state, comprised of directly impacted individuals, uh, service providers, advocates, faith community, and educational institutions. Going back to what you just said about solution oriented that's who I am. I'm a change agent. And so what I believe what, why I'm in this space is to help shape and change the narrative about people with records. I spent 10 and a half years in federal prison, and so I feel like I'm responsible for shifting the narrative of what people think about people that's been in prison mm-hmm. because it's not what you see on TV. I am an example of, of many that are doing positive work in the community to change the system. Once they come out. Once they come out, to address the systemic challenges that people face going into the
0: system and coming home. That's a good thing that you just said. you an example of the other side. Absolutely. They always talk about folks that come out and go back. Absolutely. That's real, too. Absolutely. Do you believe that the percentage of people who come out and stay out and do good greater than the folks that go back?
3: Absolutely. The recidivism rate is around maybe anywhere between 41 and
0: 45%. So that leaves almost 50 something percent. Over 50%. Of that's,
3: that's home and stay home.
0: And they stand home. Okay, now of course it's hard to determine what they doing once they back home, mm-hmm. but they not going back. That's cute. That's that's crucial. Brandon, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Brother, now you was somebody I got to give an extra uh, uh, kudos to because we spoke about a month ago when you was on the line with me talking about this topic, and you told me your story, and I literally fell out of my seat just because, right? It's it's a story that I don't often hear based on the space that I'm in. That's all. And so to hear a story like that and one like Marlon's, of course, as well as Celia, I'm just blown away because, again, I'm seeing it and hearing it firsthand. I don't always get a chance based, just based on the space that I'm in right now. I deal with youth before they get there. I'm trying to do preventive mechanisms in the work that I do. I don't really deal with the afterlife. I deal with cats, young cats, trying to keep them from going down the path of destruction and chaos. So I don't really get a chance to holler at cats unless I meet some friends, of course, and all that, and, but you know it's a different kind of flavor there because they, you know, you know, respectfully they may be doing whatever, because uh, they vanish, they go, they disappear, right? mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I'm not in contact with them regularly. But um, real quick, uh, tell us about yourself, man, and how you get into this space that you're working in now. Well, um, you know, obviously my name is
5: Brandon Laster. The company I represent is called Viral Master Services. I'm an equity partner. I'm also the vice president of business development. Uh, the company that I'm with, we specialize in disease prevention and odor control. Uh, we specialize in public restrooms, commercial restrooms, industrial facilities. Um, because of the corona, COVID-19, we've uh, adopted our services a little bit to deal with office buildings, mm-hmm. a little bit things outside the box when it comes to germs, pathogens, and diseases. Um, how I got in this space was a pretty interesting story. Um, I was in prison. Um, I had caught a bake Fraud charge back in 2010, and I wasn't released in 2018. Uh, About a year before I was released, I started getting real serious about my life, really started saying, what am I going to do when I get out? So I wrote the letters to about 75 CEOs in America, right, some of the top uh, companies there is, Fortune 500 companies, obviously. I received 37 job offers before I left prison, and I took one with the company that I felt I could align my skills personally with, I started off as a regular employee, a salesperson, very good job, very good salary. And within a year, the owner of the franchise asked me to partner up with him. I ended up contacting some family members, making some more phone calls, getting things done, and became an equity partner within two years.
0: Hey, 773 591 773-591-1690. As we continue this conversation, please call in, share your thoughts. But let me just be transparent to my pro- executive producer. This conversation ain't going to go the way this scripted paper here is in front of me because I got these brothers and sisters on the line, and I'm going, you know, we going in. Now, if there's something particular that you think I need to share with the audience, please text me, but I'm, all this, I'm putting this piece of paper to the side, and I ain't looking at this. Now. I want to go over to you, Marlon, real quick. Would you mind sharing just like how did you end up going to prison?
3: I was indicted on a federal conspiracy that landed me in federal prison with a 20 year prison sentence. Mm-hmm.
0: And you did 10, you said? 10 and a half. 10 and a half. How did you end up getting that sentence reduced? Was that the half? I mean, because it's federal, right? It was federal. That's normally 85% of the time.
3: Yeah, the federal, uh, the Fair Sentencing Act, which passed in 2010, Mm -hmm. resulted in me having a sentence reduction of of six years. So my sentence was reduced to 14 years. And then I participated in a a drug program that gave me another year off.
0: Okay. So when you decided, when you knew you was getting, what was the point? He said, I remember what. Brandon just said that's what made me think about this He said a year before he got ready to get out He thought about his life What it was going to look like When did that happen to you At what point while you were sitting locked down Did you think about When this time comes for me to walk out these doors I'm going to what So it was two The
3: The day I, I was a
0: fugitive For almost two years A who?
4: A
3: fugitive You was on the run He <laughs>
0: uh, was like Belly the Kid, baby, the
3: kid. Wor- Worst time <laughs> of my life Uh, Wow. When I was was finally arrested, the day that they put the handcuffs on me sort of released me from that life. And so that was the beginning of me saying, I want to do something different. So here it is. I was being arrested, but I was really being set free from a lifestyle that I was ready to let go of. And that was being on the run. That was on the run, but just the lifestyle of being in the streets. And then in 2006... I lost my mom March 31st, a cousin June 1st, and went on to lose five relatives in in that one year of 2006. So that really cemented, like, me saying, I have to do something different. So at that point, I started just, even in how I, I, like, ended up doing my time, I spent that time educating myself and preparing myself for my release.
0: Did you know exactly what you was going to do when you was released, or you just knew that it was not going to be Coming through that revolving door.
3: Well, I do. I wasn't going back through the revolving door, but what I did was I learned how to trade the financial markets. Oh wow! So that's how I spent like seven years of my of, of seven of my years in prison. I spent studying the financial markets. So we studied commodities, the currency markets, the New York Stock Exchange. Like this is what we Hold did. Hold on,
0: time out. <laughs> time out. You got any stock tips for me? <laughs> For well, all I, of I, us. You I, got any? No, I don't
3: have any stuff not, right not, not right this moment. Not right this moment. We're going
0: to talk about that later because we're going to put you back in that game. Yep, absolutely. Celia, the same question really goes to you.
1: Mm-hmm. So for me, my healing journey started two years before I left prison. Okay. That's the first time. And you said you did I, 14 I, You
0: did fourteen years, right?
1: No, I, I was given a 15-year 15 thing. 15 I only did six, six six and a half okay. years.
0: Okay, so two years uh, prior to being released. Okay.
1: Yes. Yeah. Two years prior to being released, I joined a program in prison called Who Women Helping Others. It was a hospice program. That was the first time I was ever in a room with a psychologist or a social worker, where I learned the word trauma. Where I learned that due to my childhood and me just, you know, surviving, being a domestic violence survivor, you know, and a survivor of many abuses—physical, sexual, the whole nine—that I was dealing with un, you know unhealed trauma that I was walking around you know with all the personalities that I had I was dealing with a whole bunch of unprocessed unhealed trauma and when I learned about what causes someone to you know make decisions or not make decisions and how much everything that we do is mental and that everything, our environment around us can either build us or destroy us and sometimes leave us in a space to where we're harming other people and harming ourselves. So it was, for me, it was a healing journey to learn everything I could about mental health and what causes people to react and become who they become. And that led me to who I am today. Everything that I do, my work is surrounded about leading people to their own healing journey so that they become who they need to become and they don't let their environments and their hardships lay that path for them. That, you Absolutely. know, the magnitude of what healing does for a person can change your whole life, you know, more than you could ever think. Absolutely. So for me, I thought about all the women that were behind in prison when I left that had a story just like mine or even worse. And, you know, there's statistics. I mean, the numbers are out there. 53% of people who go to prison qualify for a lifetime of PTSD cuz they all experience some kind of violence or childhood abuse. So
0: so did you know did you know exactly did you know exactly what you was going to do when you got out
1: I had a plan. I had started creating my plan when I started my healing a year before I left. I started making a list of all the things that I wanted to do, the places that I wanted to go. Okay. Didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was—I knew that. But you I had it. But you had a strategy. Method.
0: You had a strategy that yes. was important.
1: Yes, This always starts a with a plan. I,
0: Absolutely. Yes,
1: I had a plan of action, and okay. I stuck to it.
0: Great, Mr. Gators. Yes, sir. You have a different story because you, I assume you didn't share with us, but you have not spent time down but you your whole life has been around young men and women who have been coming through a revolving door yes sir and so at what point and i think what point did you know that this was the mission you wanted to be on and has it been a fulfilling journey for you thus far
2: oh definitely first let me just say that uh you know I have family members who you know went into the system and uh, uh, no one is actually not impacted by incarceration in our community i don't i don't think but um yeah going in uh to work in that facility and then coming back to work in that facility basically was an indication to me that hey this is what this is what you're supposed to do this is the work that you're supposed to be doing because why else would i be coming back why w- why would i be working as a correctional officer in the county jail and find myself coming back to the county jail as a social worker
0: right okay yeah
2: that's an ox- that's an oxymoron <laughs> but so, uh, but
0: yet but yet that's where you at
2: that's, that's it
0: that's where you at I want to go to you Brandon you said you had how many off corporations that you had written letters to
3: at last
5: count it was 37 you had, had 30.
0: And so 37 corporations accepted, wanted to bring you in. 37? What kind of letter <laughs> did you write? It should be, that letter should be literally, it should be the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> right? and, and one more question, you can answer that. What made you choose this particular company out of 37 companies? Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody having 37 job offers and have to decide which job to take? That would be a heart. That would be a headache in itself. No, think, right. Cause you know, you want to make the perfect choice for your life's mission. And you made this one with this particular company.
5: So the first part of your question is what made me decide to do that? First of all, again, I've, I've said this in some of my other uh, interviews as well. I know that when a company says they'll hire ex-felons, I know generally the CEO of that company has made that statement and he may be passionate about that statement. But me knocking on the front door of your office and you're the assistant manager, you didn't didn't hear that from the CEO. So are you going to hire me and with the chance that I'm going to mess up that may get you in trouble or are you going to pass me up for somebody that doesn't have any red flags? So if I write the CEO and the CEO hires me, I can bypass you. And now, not only that, there is a level of eyesight because I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in eyesight. CEO hires me; he wants to know how I'm doing.
0: Your responsibility of his.
5: So, if I shine, I'm going to be paid for my wages. I'm going to move up faster. If I fail, then he's going to let his boss, somebody under him, to say, "Hey, let him go." Right. But I also feel a greater responsibility because now you've hired me, and now I feel like I represent you. So, if I'm not going to make a mistake to make it look bad on myself, right? So. That was my thinking. My thinking was, I might can't get it done at the bottom, but I can, I can definitely get it done at the top. And it's a numbers game. So if you write a bunch of people, somebody's going to write you back because somebody cares about your situation. Absolutely. The next part of your question you
0: is say, why did you choose that particular company? That you still with that company now, right? I am. And okay. so
5: this person, his name is Pat Swisher. He's the, the CEO. CEO. He had went to prison himself. Oh. And in his first letter to me, the honesty was right there. I mean, he just said, hey, man, I've been through where you are. Wow. So if somebody it's just, you know, if if I want to learn how to fly an airplane, I want somebody that has experience flying fly an, airplane. an airplane. I don't want somebody. I'm not saying I wouldn't trust somebody that doesn't have the all the experience. Absolutely. But if you've been through what I've been through, if you understand the dynamic of where I'm coming from and what I'm trying to achieve, then, of course, I'm going to align myself with you
0: because our values are. So that unfortunate situation brought about an instant connection. It does. And you trust it his judgment and what he said to you in terms of providing you with an opportunity.
4: Absolutely. You felt
0: that he would give you a hundred percent of his time and effort to assure that you was a success. Absolutely. What's the book? <laughs> you got a book coming on that one.
5: You know, I'm still writing it, man. This is a great job. Are you
0: writing it? Really? I
5: am. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, and, and I, we're going to talk a little later, but sure. obviously it's been a great journey. I mm-hmm. mean, I started with a company as an employee. Uh, my family, my brothers, everybody pulled together. You know, we actually came together as a family with my dad's help. We, we bought the place. We went from doing. how long You bought the place? That's, you didn't tell me that part. Well, I mean, we, <laughs> we're all partners. Right? We, right. we own the franchise. Wow. And so now that we own mm-hmm. it, we went from doing. You know, good, good numbers. I'll say, you know, a million to now we're over three million. So, and we're growing and, and we're looking forward to expand our services and help not only the companies that we currently help, but to expand our services to our people, the under, you know, underprivileged mm-hmm. because everyone should be in a, in a space where they feel safe,
0: their environment, and we provide that service. I want to go back to you, Greg, real quick. Mm-hmm. Have, have you had have experiences with young men or women who've come through the system you stayed in contact with them, and they are presently doing things that are positive, and I guess you could say amazing.
2: Definitely, yes. A number of young brothers, and I, and I also want to reach out uh, uh, to this brother because I definitely want to link link with you, brother. Because uh, I just wanted to know what what reentry support programs did you you know, get any services or support from, or did you, you know, all of this just happened without any support services?
5: Go ahead, please. Although some were provided from the jail, and, you, and um, I don't know if you were on that side where you provided it, but where I was at, the services were kind of like written down on a piece of paper and just handed to you as you were walking out the door. There wasn't a explanation, should I say. So I didn't take the advantage of you uh, using any, which kind of sparked my, ambition to kind of create my life beforehand because they weren't giving me those resources where I was. So I started writing letters. And when, as the letters were coming in, I'm, we're not talking about letters from, you know, uh, John's Pizza or anything like that. I was getting letters from Nike, Walmart, Starbucks, Costco, you know, Fortune I wrote 500. all Fortune 500 companies. And they were literally like uh, Philip Knight, the CEO and co-founder of Nike's, wrote me a personal letter. And it was his it was hand, handwriting. And he said, chairman I- of the board.
0: I'm so, I want to know how in the heck did you get a letter in the hands of these CEOs? That's, so I, I'm so, sure you wrote multiple times to them. You no, just write one time. Absolutely. Your first letter that went directly to a particular CEO got a response. The ones that got a response was the first time being sent. So if I write a letter to you right
5: now, a handwritten letter, your secretary tells you a piece of mail come in. No one uses the mail system anymore. Right. Everybody uses email. Well, if you're a CEO so you're of a major curious. company, just right, right now, if you go on your phone, how many emails do you just kind of glance over? Doesn't. In fact, you have a spam. Right. One thing you don't have is a spam for mail. For mail. Even okay. the junk mail that comes to your house. Hmm. Right? So eventually, you're going to look at it. If it's coming from a prison or you see something that you normally don't see, you're,
0: you're trying to figure out who And is you it. conceived all of this. I did. And it worked. It did. Plan. Now... Marlon, you made a, a great point. Most people, the stigma is that most people go back once they come out at some point. You said no. Mm-hmm. Most people stay out, the majority. Mm-hmm. I think Cecilia made a stat, too, that was in the plus side. And you deal with, how do what do you do in your job right now, the profession that you're in, you run Alliance for Reentry at the Safer Foundation. Mm-hmm. How many returning citizens you see every day? Wow.
3: How many returning citizens do I see every day? <laughs>
0: every day. So I
3: would just say <laughs> that that's a part of, like, that community is a part of my network. And so every day I interact with a returning citizen. Um, it could be dozens. It could be dozens. Not
0: 100s Don't say hundreds. Sometimes it
3: it could be dozens, but sometimes hundreds. Like we average with our monthly meetings, we're averaging anywhere from 35 to 40 different organizations that represent a lot of different directly impacted individuals. (laughs) Even as I'm on this interview, people are texting me and saying directly impacted people are texting me and saying, I'm glad you brought up the flip side to that recidivism. Right. But I would also say that the goal of what we're trying to do is to humanize people that have been in prison and also have been
0: dehumanized
3: that have been dehumanized and also address the root causes of what causes a person to go to prison in the first place. What does that person's community look like? What resources are available to this person? Like what made that person decide that I'm going to pick up this gun or sell this bag that led that person to prison?
0: Have you found an answer? So Somewhat. Somewhat.
3: But I think a lot of it is there's a lack of resources. And I would also say I'm 44 years old, and the west and south sides of Chicago have looked that way since I was a little kid. And so if if I walk— Tells the whole story. Yeah, if I walk out my house and all I see is abandoned
0: buildings, then what hopes and dreams can I have? Hold on. You truly can say, because you stayed on the west side, you came—you grew up there. I stayed on the south side. Now. Mm-hmm. But you grew up on the west side.
3: No, I grew up on the south side. On the side. south side. I'm yeah. sorry, I misheard. Yeah.
0: So you grew up on the south side. You went away. Yeah. You came back. And it's worse. Now you're 44. Yeah. And the community looks exactly the same, if not worse. Yep.
3: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think about just even with my whole
0: who, who 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 can we blame for that? A whole host of people probably. I, absolutely. Cecilia, absolutely. Do you, you from Chicago, right?
1: Yep, from the southeast side.
0: And you... Are you back in the community?
1: I'm still back in the same community that I left. I grew up in South Chicago. I'm just a little east.
0: And can you and share the same sentiment that Marlon said that the community looked the same way? It's worse. Oh, my me. God. In
1: my, in my community, I live right off commercial. Commercial, everything shuts down about 6 o'clock. The gates go up. Everything gets locked. Pawn shops stay open to 12 o'clock. Plasma centers stay open until 9 o'clock. Liquor stores stay open to 10 o'clock. Tell me what's wrong with that picture.
0: It's a horrible picture.
1: Thing, right. And one thing that I do want to bring up and that I don't hear in this conversation is the numbers and the exacerbation, the bigger picture of what it looks like for black and brown women.
0: Tell the story. Go we, ahead.
1: Because we right now, you know, numbers can't lie. Right now, there's hundreds and thousands of women. There's nearly eight times more women than men who lost their jobs because of the pandemic. I mean, just this really just highlights the lack of resources, the lack of support that women have. You know, in society, the court system is harsher to women because we're usually the primary caregivers in our families. We carry the weight of society on our shoulders because we're the nurturers. We're the ones to raise the next generation. When men get locked up, they don't ask them where their kids are at. We get locked up. That's our first question. Do you have children, and who are they with? There's a big power structure that's going on right now. With the numbers that's showing more than 66% of the workforce that is out is women. So we're struggling to survive. We're struggling To carry society on our back, we're you know we're the ones that need the support to just keep our children and the next generation going. But yet we're here, you know, just facing all of these harsh realities.
0: So what? So very
1: little support out there. So okay, so we need to realize that.
0: Okay, so there we go. We have lack of support. Now you tell me directly. What is your organization doing day in and day out to solve some of these horrific problems that you see in your community? Give us some solutions we, that your organization sure. is doing. The organization That's is giving others a dream. God, right? Giving others dreams. God.
1: Correct. Uh-huh. So what we do is provide direct re entry support. When women come home, as soon as I get the call, somebody comes home, we come to them. I ask them what their sizes are. We provide them with a week or sometimes two weeks, two big black garbage bags full of interview clothes to get them job ready. We provide them with welcome home care packages that include everything under the sun, hygiene, deodorant, you know, shampoo, conditioners. We give them $100 in mutual aid because maybe they need to get an ID. Maybe they need to buy a birth certificate, a bus card something when you show up for somebody and they feel the warmth of the community they feel welcomed they have an agenda with resources because we i give them a, a envelope full of resources i i work with the safer foundation who provides a great network of resources to our people everything from legal aid to housing to helping them get their medical card their you know a link card we show up the way I wish somebody
0: would have showed up for me, uh, sir, give me a se- one a second, like. we've been so interested in this conversation. I literally walked through two commercials. We'll be back on our other side, Carl West, Community Health Focus Hour. <laughs> What's up? What's up? Carl West back at your community health focus hour brought to you by University of Chicago Medicine, Urban Health Initiatives. We are back at this subject matter talking to four individuals who can share some experiences about returning citizens, getting their lives back in order. I was asking, actually, my man, Brandon, in terms of him and as well as Marlon, do you think that the number is accurate when it says 2.3 million people are incarcerated? Does it look like it's more than that? are less than that just based on y'all traveling through the system? For me,
5: I wouldn't say there was 2.3 million. I think that when they, when they give those numbers are basically preliminary numbers that include the people on parole as well. Because uh, the, federal, the federal systems are pretty small. You know, I've, I've yet I've been, myself traveled to one where there's tens of thousands of inmates, right? So usually mm-hmm. there's they're small and there's not as many federal systems as you would think there are. I think there's maybe a total of maybe, I don't know, 40 federal correctional facilities in the United States. Now, I don't know. I can't speak for No, it's fed joints. Yeah, the fed joints. Right. I, don't, I don't know about state and how many per right. state and all that.
3: What do you think, Marlon? I, I don't trust the numbers, but I also think how many of those people that, that have been released, like that now have convictions or felonies, like like how do we count that number? Because if they're saying that 2.3 million people are currently incarcerated, like, think about the people that's been released. <laughs> and I would also say that there are over 40,000 what we call permanent punishments, the punishment after incarceration, that exists. And and currently... In political- How do you define
0: that? Define that for me, please.
3: What, the permanent punishments? Yeah. These are barriers or obstacles okay. that people face. So if I wanted to become a doctor, there's a statute that says I can't because I have a conviction. And in Illinois, there are currently 1,198 Permanent punishments that say you can't work here. As an example, last year my school asked me to be a mentor at my son's school. But because I have a record, in spite of all of the work that I'm doing for my community, I couldn't be a mentor at my son's school. So th- that is an example of a permanent punishment that exists after incarceration.
0: Okay. Cecilia, same thing for you. Do you trust the numbers? I mean, you gave some stats before we got off the phone. Do you trust the numbers in terms of the the amount of inmates in these prisons? And do you trust the numbers in terms of the different racial makeups?
1: Anything that the government gives us. So I don't trust the numbers. (laughs) But what I will say is that in every state across this nation, we have black and brown and poor white people locked up. And the number that they do shoot at us is that 4.6. 6.5 6.5 million people are on some kind of probation or parole or some kind of paper. That I do believe.
0: Right. Okay. Going back to you, Greg, can you tell us? Hold on one second. Is this a call? Okay, that's a call. Yeah, take this call real quick, people. Let me take this call. Uh, Pam, what's up?
1: Pam, hi. Hi, doctor. I uh, wanted to call in and ask the panel how I can help my uncle find housing for himself he was sent to jail back in the 80s late 80s
0: under the three strikes pa- law pam? And he did, he, 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 yes pam here's what we're going to do each one of these individuals will be giving you their contact information at the end please make sure you jot those down and you can reach out with their organizations and get those uh, the, that question answered. That they all will be yeah. giving their contacts at the at the close of this discussion. Thank you. Cursing. Thank, Thank you, you, Pam. All right. Uh, who else is this? Is this another person here? Okay, yeah, uh, Ma. What's up, Ma?
2: Hey, good morning. Good afternoon. Yes, sir. Hey, this is J. Miner Allen, the mayor of 79th Street, calling in okay. from the Monroe Okay.
0: Talk to us. Give us, uh, what's the question?
2: Oh, well, I'm calling. You know, you guys brought up the information, which is so important. That's uh, that's expungement. As you know, at the Monroe Foundation and Get Clear, the National Black Wall Street, we're responsible for getting guys their rap sheets, getting them in a position, getting them in a position in order to get their records sealed or expunged. Right now, we are a little frustrated and mad with the chief justice, with the state's attorney, with a potential state's attorney, we've got to unclog the system, Carl. we got to unclog this system. we got people that have been prepared over a year ago. We've got people two years ago who petitions we've filed, and they're still in file 13. we got to stop playing this game. We've got a situation where we've got Judge Leroy Martin Jr. in District 1 in Cook County where he's the only judge hearing expungement. That is just a... That they t- you're talking about the fight being fixed? That's the fight being fixed. You got a guy that's only listening to expungements on Tuesday and Wednesday. He's got more records, more arrests than anybody in the whole history. Look at DuPage County and Wheel County, and the people are going right in getting expunged. So we say the fight is fixed. We're going to mobilize. We're going to march, man. We're going to march on Election Day. We're looking for formerly incarcerated people we're looking for people who are been formerly incarcerated, who are looking at their record expunged, to meet us at National Black Wall Street on Election Day. We're going to march at Tim Evans' house. We're going to march at, the, at Martinez' house. We're going to march at the Republican the Republican candidate's house, and we'll be down at the Board of Elections. So make sure you go and vote first and then show up at National Black Wall Street. Absolutely. Up at National Black Wall Street, and we're going to speak for you. We're advocating for you we got job program with nat- with uh, no adults left behind. We want to make sure that while you waiting on your expungement, we're going to do something for you.
0: And you guys do great work over there. And tell Otis say what's up and keep up the good work. We'll all see you on uh, Election Day, November 3rd. We'll be out there Election marching day. with you.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Carl. Listen, you know my brother talked about you immensely man, from, from top to bottom. And I just really appreciate the part you played in him and his advocacy. And I just let the, like to let all the listeners know National Black Wall Street is still up and running and live and well. I'm moving into the chairman spot out of the trustee deal. And we are here to fight for you for access, for capital and justice.
0: Congratulations, man. We'll be around. Yes, sir. All right. Another call coming through. Madeline, what's up, Madeline?
4: Yes. Hi. My name is Madeline Sanders. I was calling Carl because I wanted to know if you all are familiar with the federal bonding program.
0: The federal bonding um, program?
4: Yes. Oh, it's Have the federal it? federal
0: funding of federal bonding.
4: No, no. It's called the federal bonding program. Federal bonding program. Yes. What it does is it gets, it enables a returning citizen to get liability insurance initially for six months, hmm. Uh, it's free, and what it does is it eliminates the risk to that individual in terms of finding employment. That's nope. what it does. Okay. Have you heard
0: of it? I've, I haven't heard of it. Have you? Marlon said he's heard of it. Uh, Brandon said okay. maybe. Marlon said yes. Okay. Okay.
4: I mean, last year when I was working in LaShawn Ford's uh, Merrill campaign, when he was going around to different locations that when he was speaking, I found out that almost, uh, I think I probably encountered two people who had ever heard of it, which I found astounding. It's actually been around since 1966.
0: Well, now, if you count uh, all five of us, that's 26 people. That's six people.
4: (laughs) Yeah, six people. And it it is in every state in the Union.
0: Okay. Well thank you, Madeline. I appreciate that. Look, let's just go to the closing of this. I mean, it's, you know, the time is always gonna be against us when you have an important conversation like this with some incredible people that can share some incredible information. So I wanna go around. Uh, Cecilia, I want you to give your information, email, phone number, or website to so folks can reach you at, please. Sure. So my
1: email is Celia C E L I A C at givingothersdreams.com you can also um email you can also find me in all the social media apps at celia c Cologne 1 um you can uh donate to uh my charitable you know donation will will go towards hygiene welcome home packages for women at celia Cologne oa at gmail via paypal and um, you can reach out to me if you have a woman coming home who needs mentorship, who needs a welcome home care package. Please find me and just reach out to me and we'll show up and support her in any way that we can. Say your phone and number. Today, say your
0: phone number again.
1: 312-804-8209.
0: One more time, please.
1: 312 312- Eight zero four eight two zero nine.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Greg, uh, give us Thank the you. contact information. You'll, give us the contact information, phone number, email, website, whatever that people can get in contact with you.
2: Sure. That's uh, the Woodlawn Community Reentry Project Chicago. The phone number is 773 301 773 Nine, one. Absolutely.
0: I appreciate that. Marlon, same with you. Give us phone number, email, website. Email is
3: Marlon, M A R L O N, Chamberlain, C H A M B E R L A I N, at saferfoundation.org. And my cell phone number is 312 216 0170. Appreciate it.
5: EnviroMaster Master Services, our office number is 815 630 two three six seven again that's eight one five six three zero two three six seven I can also be reached brandon at enviromaster.com or em and, and I
0: and I remember talking to you on the phone the last time Brandon and I said that I wanted to get you involved in a few organizations to tell that story and also the same thing for you Marlon I want your story to be told as well to a, a group of men uh, organizations that I'm familiar with and I deal with and uh, these stories may need to be told so I wanna, want Brandon if you had to say something as a solution a solution to how you survive what you had went through
5: you got to have a positive outlook you know you got to have a positive outlook because the only way you're going to have come up with any solution to anything is it has to be a positive outlook, right? So
0: You have to believe it.
5: you got to believe it. So once you believe it, then you're able to set the perimeters around
0: it. Plan, a goal. There you go. Right. Got you know? it. Same for you, Marlon. What, what, what would you say is a solution that you can give?
3: Mobilize. My brother talked about that called in. We have to mobilize directly impacted individuals, Faith community, etc. We just have to mobilize and develop power because it changes how we
0: negotiate. Um, I like and, that. And changes how we negotiate. Absolute, I like that.
3: Absolutely, we have to build power.
0: Okay. Same thing with you, Greg. What do you tell your young men? Uh, you have men? You have role models and people coming in speaking to your young men. What was, What are some of the solutions that you give them, Greg? Well,
2: just like what we're doing now is that, um, and I just want to say to you, uh, you know, thanks a lot for keeping this narrative and, and keeping this discussion going is that we need more of this you know kind of discussion and this kind of dialogue in our community. And we need it we need we need it more than just, you know, maybe once or, or, or twice a month. We need this like every week because re entry and incarceration impacts our communities in uh, so many ways. And so this discussion I think is so important. But but in terms of mentoring our youth and our young men we see mentoring in in a community context which means that we are here to parent all the children in our community at any point in time we come across them we are we're there to mentor and parent them and 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 that's because in our community we have a number of households that are, are basically where, where men are not are not present whether they're incarcerated. Okay. Whether whether they they they've, they've basically been exterminated or the, dealing with the genocide in, in the system, so we we have to parent in a community context, and okay. that's how we
0: see it. Absolutely, I appreciate that. Look, this has been an incredible conversation, a very eye-opening conversation for me, and I hope for the listeners as well. Let me tell you what's coming up next. Wait a minute, next week? No, we are off next. We return November seven with Dr. Dorian Miller discussing COVID-19, mental health, anxiety, depression, domestic and interpersonal violence. So we all for a week or two, and then we come back on November 7th with Dorian Miller, Dr. Dorian Miller. I want to thank Titus Williams as our technical producer. I want to thank our executive producer, Susan Peters. I want to thank our Facebook Live person, Latiera Barnett. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. I want to definitely and most importantly thank the four guests, Cecilia, Greg, Marlon, and Brandon. I mean, I, I, am, I am blessed and, and pleasured to have had the opportunity to talk with all of you guys, each four of you. I've learned so much. I am more compassionate than I ever was and I hope to join forces with each of you as the time, the days, the months, the years go by and to help uh, make changes in the community and, 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 and march out here and mobilize, man, so that we can uh, at least attempt to do more for citizens who are on their way home and the ones who are here now, okay? Uh, again, Carl West, I want to thank you for listening. This is the Community Health Focus Hour. Brought to you by the University of Chicago Medicine, Urban Health Initiatives. Go enjoy your Saturday because I am out. Peace.
4: The Community Health Focus Hour is brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine.